If you haven't been with us, I've been on a short little series. Uh, originally, when I preached it several years ago, uh, it was a seven-part. I was able to narrow it down, do a little three-part, uh, and so we're going to finish up tonight. If you haven't been with us, I want to recap real quick what we've covered specifically identify these seven things that God can't do and finish up with the final this evening. But uh, the very first thing that God can't do that we've looked at is that God cannot get tired. God cannot fall asleep. Word of God says, Do you not know and have you not heard that the everlasting God neither grows weary nor does he slumber? Another passage says, He never slumbers and he never sleeps. How many of you are glad God's never asleep on the job? Amen. Didn't fall asleep today. Won't fall asleep tonight. He's with us. Never falls asleep in slumbers. The second thing that God cannot do is He cannot take on a task that He cannot tackle. O Lord God, You have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and with Your outstretched arm, and nothing is too difficult for You. I don't know about you, church, but I'm thankful that God's arm is always outstretched in my direction. God's arm is always there, ready to pick me up, carry me through, pull me through, push me through, whatever He has to do. Amen? It's there to pick me up. It's there to stir me and prod me. It's there to move mountains. It's there to slay giants. It's there to part Red Seas. But God cannot take on a task that He cannot tackle. If you weren't here when we went through this one, if He could stop the sun for Joshua turn it back on its axis or turn the earth back on its axis, He don't tell me He can't turn your situation around. Amen? The third thing that God cannot do is He cannot tell a lie and He cannot break a promise because the Word of God says, For He will not break His covenant, nor will He alter the words that have come forth from His lips. He cannot break a promise and He will not go back on His Word because God is not a man that He should lie nor the Son of Man, that He would change His mind. When He speaks, He acts. When He promises, He fulfills. And I don't care what the devil tells you, church. God is not a man that He would lie. If He's made you a promise, He will keep it. Amen? If He's sown a word into your life or a word of encouragement, don't let go. You hang on to it because God will fulfill His promises. The fourth thing God cannot do is He cannot remember or hold against us sins that He has already forgiven. Amen? This one should encourage every single one of us to know that our God will not bring up our past. He can't bring up our past. He won't throw it in our face. He won't hold it against us like the world or those around us will. If you have asked for forgiveness, God has put it into the sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered again. Amen? So we can walk with great joy knowing that God has not taken into account any wrongs suffered as long as it's been covered in the blood. So we cannot do that. The fifth thing He cannot do is He cannot abandon you, church. He cannot walk out of us in our time of need. He can't leave you alone at your wall of Jericho. He won't leave you alone in the Valley of Eli. He won't leave you alone at the Red Sea. He won't leave you alone in a fiery furnace. He won't leave you alone in a lion's den. He won't leave you alone in the middle of your struggles or your difficulties because He cannot abandon you. Be strong and of good courage, the Bible says. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God, it is He that goes with you. It's Him that goes with you. The supernatural God is the one that goes with us into every situation. And He says, He will never leave you or forsake you because He is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. You see, the reality is there will be times in our life, we know it, where we'll face trouble. 
There'll be times where it'll feel maybe like God's not there. There'll be times where we feel like maybe He's abandoned us because we're so pressed in by the things that go around us. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that God cannot abandon us, church. He'll never leave us or forsake us. The the sixth thing God cannot do is to stop thinking about you. You know what? All of you, when you, if you've been married, you had relationships, you had girlfriends, you found yourself in love, boy, you just couldn't get that person off your mind 24-7. Just couldn't get them off your mind. God's the same way. He loves us, church, with an everlasting love. It's the thing that we're going to talk about tonight. But because of that, it's why he can't get his mind off of us, church. Oh, how precious are your thoughts towards me, David said. If I was to number every one of them, they would outnumber the sands on all of the seas. When I awake, you're still there, David said. See, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that, that, that God's thoughts are filled with me. Thoughts of how to bless me and not harm me. How to give me hope. How to give me a future. How to push me on, press me on. How to encourage me, church. How to give me joy. All of those things. That's the sixth thing. And finally, the seventh thing God can't do is God cannot stop loving you. Amen? He can't do all of those other things that I talked about and a host of others simply because He just can't stop loving us. Everything that I've talked about is based on the fact that He can't stop loving you, church. It's because He loves us so much that He can't do all of these things that I talked about. It's because He loves you so much that He can't abandon you. It's because He loves you so much that He can't tell a lie to you. It's because He loves you so much that He can't stop thinking about you. You understand what I'm saying? It's because He loves us so much. Yes, Jeremiah 31.3 says this. God speaks and says, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've loved you with a never-ending love, with an enduring love, with a forever and ever and ever and ever love, God says. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. In other words, I have drawn you close to myself through the love that I have for you. I've drawn you close to me. I've drawn you near to me. Through my loving kindness. See, what you have to remember is that we only love Him because He first loved us. We love Him because He gave Himself for us. We love Him because He considered Himself more important than us. Amen? We love Him because He laid down His life for us, who He calls our friend. We love Him because He poured Himself out as a drink offering. We love Him because He lavished His love upon you and me. When we didn't deserve anything, God lavished His love upon you and me. And when we got a taste of that love, church... That's why we love Him in return. We love Him because He first loved us. Listen, if God didn't love us like He did, we wouldn't love Him in return. He'd just be another man. He'd just be someone else, church. But because He is the everlasting Father, and because He cannot stop loving us, it's exactly why we love Him. Listen, Jesus didn't draw us near with wrath. Jesus didn't draw us near with punishment. Jesus didn't draw us near because He loaded us up with guilt and loaded us up with condemnation. He drew us near through mercy and He drew us near with grace. He drew us near with loving kindness, the Bible says. 
It's the tool God uses to draw us nearer to Him, church. It is His loving kindness. Now see, the reality is sometimes He chastises us. But the Word of God says God chastises those whom He loves. We spank our children because we love them, church. Because we want them to learn lessons. Because we don't want them to get hurt. Because we want them to grow up, be mature and blessed and and considered well. You understand what I'm saying? So even when we're chastised, it is a demonstration of God. God's love towards us, church. He draws us near through His loving kindness, the Bible says. You see, we love Him. And we drew near to Him because somewhere in our wanderings, and how many of you know we've all wandered, amen? Every single one of us at one point or another have done what was right in our own eyes. We've walked in our own ways instead of the the ways of God. Every single one of us somewhere in our life has leaned on our own understanding and not acknowledged God or not approached God or not asked God for direction, church. Somewhere in our waywardness, somewhere in our lost state, the love of God shone through the darkness that surrounded our life. And when it touched our soul, it drew us near to God. Amen? You see, the only reason you're here tonight is because somewhere the love of God shone through into your life. The only reason you're sitting here tonight is because somewhere in your waywardness, the love of God touched your life and it drew you near. There was something about that love that you couldn't find anywhere else. You couldn't find it in a bottle. You couldn't find it in a pill. You couldn't find it in a relationship. You couldn't find it in a hotel room. You couldn't find it in the back seat of a car. You couldn't find it on the Internet. You couldn't find it in a bank account. You couldn't find it in a relationship. But you found it in the everlasting love of God. And it drew you near. Amen. It's everlasting, church. It never runs dry. It never gives up. It never gives out. It never gives in. It is the everlasting love of God. If you recall, we've already learned that God is the everlasting God, and it's why He has an everlasting love. Makes sense, doesn't it? The everlasting God has everlasting love. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't grow tired, like I said. He never runs empty. He never runs dry. He never falls asleep. He never fails. And in this case, what we're looking at is that his love never ceases. His love never comes to an end, church. It goes on forever. In Ephesians 3.18, Paul speaks to the Ephesians, and he actually speaks to all of us. And he says, may you have the power to understand, as all Christians should, how wide How long, how high, how deep the love of God is toward you. May you understand, Paul says, the awesomeness of the love of God. May you understand how wide it is and how deep it is and how high it is and how long it is. May you understand this, church. You see, listen. Paul's number one desire was for the Ephesians and for God's people to understand or comprehend the fullness of God's love. It was his number one desire for them to grasp the awesomeness of the love that God had for them then and still has for us today. If there's anything God wants you to understand, it's the awesomeness of his love. If there's anything God wants you to understand, whether you understand uh, anything between these pages, whether you understand revelations, whether you understand uh, all of the other things that are written in here, He wants you to understand the length, the depth, the height, the breadth 
of His love. Because when you understand His love, Paul realized this, when you understand the depth of God's love, it changes your life. When you understand the depth of God's love, it changes your thought process. It changes your speech. It changes your dress. It changes your attitude. When you understand the awesomeness of the love that God has towards us, something happens in your life, church. It changes us. You see, the reality is when you understand the awesomeness of God's love, you understand that He'll never tell you a lie. That if He speaks a promise into your life, He'll keep it because He loves you so much. When you understand the love of God, no matter what situation you find yourself in, you understand that He's not going to walk out on me. He's not going to abandon me. My husband might have left, or my wife might have left, or my kids might have walked out, but God ain't going to walk out on me. You see, you understand, listen to me, Paul and Silas understood the depth of God's love when they were in the middle of a deep, dark dungeon cell about midnight, when they didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow, but there was one thing they knew, God loved them. And it's why they began to worship Him. And it's why their situation was turned around, church. You see, Daniel understood the depth of God's love, even in a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they understood the depth of God's love, even in the middle of a fiery furnace. And if you can understand the depth of God's love in the middle of whatever situation you're going through, it will change your life and it will carry you through, church. Please understand, the love of God is not just the thing that draws you near. It's the thing that carries you through. It carries you through the trials. It carries you through the tribulation. It carries you through the rejection. It carries you through the heartache. It carries you through the sorrow and the sadness and the storm. The love of God endures forever, the Bible says. It's an everlasting love. Listen, Paul understood that if the church could understand the everlasting love of God, it would give them strength to endure It would give them the strength to go on. Paul knew if they understood the power of God's everlasting love, they would not quit the race. They would not throw in the towel. They would not give in. They would not give up. Paul understood if they understood the depth of God's love, they would run the race, they would fight the fight, and they would keep the faith all the way to the end, just like he did. You see, when you forget about the love of God is when you grow weak. When you forget about the love of God that won't ever leave you and forsake you, when you forget about the love of God that will never tell you a lie and will keep every promise He ever made, when you forget about the love of God that just can't stop thinking about you while you're going through hell, when you forget about the love of God, do you understand what I'm saying? It's when you grow weak and weary and throw in the towel, church. All because you think God doesn't love me anymore. That's what you and I need to understand. God's not a man that he should lie. He has an everlasting love, church. That's why Paul spoke these words, because he understood the importance of the people of God understanding the love of God. Why? Because the devil's going to tell you all sorts of lies. Every day you wake up, somewhere along the way, the devil's going to try to get you to think God's forgotten about you. God's changed His mind about you. 
God's not thinking about you. God doesn't care about you. God's not going to forgive you. God doesn't love you. You've gone too far. You've gone too low. You've gone too deep. You've done whatever. And God just don't love you anymore. And when that happens, you give up on God. Listen, listen, we've all been there. Why try? I've messed up so much. I've made so many mistakes. Listen, I was there in my early walk with God trying, trying, trying. It was trying all on my own. Well, why bother anymore? You listen to the lies of the devil, just throw it in. God don't love you anymore. And listen, if you're honest, you've all been there at some point in your walk with God. We cannot let it happen. We cannot forget, church, that God cannot stop loving us. Because if we forget that, we will fail, church. Listen, what you and I need to understand is that Christ endured the cross because He loved us. He endured the shame because He loved us. He endured the pain because He loved us. He endured the hurt and the heartache and everything else that was associated with the cross simply because He loved us with an everlasting love. You understand, church? He didn't, his love didn't run dry in the Garden of Gethsemane. His love didn't run dry when He was sitting at the Last Supper and He saw... Judas, get up from the table and walk out. Please understand me. God still had love for Judas. Judas just didn't have the right love for God. So what you need to understand is that his love never ran out in the garden. It didn't run out on the way to the cross. It didn't run out while he was being whipped and beaten and battered. It didn't run out when he had the beard plucked from his face or the thorns shoved down on his head. His love for us didn't run out when he had a spear shoved in his side. His love for us did not end, church, and it's still the same today. So often we think, oh, you know, God's love runs out. It doesn't, church. It's an everlasting love. It never runs out. It never runs dry. The truth is, His love endures forever. What you need to understand is that I'm not talking about an Energizer Bunny kind of love. I'm not talking about that pretend little bunny that just keeps on going and going and going. Because listen, that battery will one day run dry. That bunny will one day stop pounding on that drum. That bunny will fail, church. But the love of God endures forever and ever and ever and ever. No matter what we go through, no matter what we face, it goes on forever, church. Not just for a moment, not just for a single day. It doesn't last for just one sudden storm that comes into your life that seems to have turned your world upside down. It endures more than one lion's den. It endures more than one Goliath. It endures more than one mountain. It endures more than one sin. It endures more than one uh, failure in your life. The love of God, the Word says, endures forever, church. His love won't last or run dry even after a thousand years. The love of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, church. It never ends. He cannot stop loving you, church, no matter what. Listen, no matter what your past is, God still loves you. No matter what you're going through today, if you've given... I'm, he, he loves you. Even if you have not given your heart to God, He still loves you. Why do you think He sent His Son, Jesus Christ? And we'll get to that later. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the sinner. For God so loved the heathen. For God so loved the hypocrite. For God so loved the pornographer, the adulterer, the thief, the drug addict. For God so loved the liar. For God so loved the world. You understand? 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would grab a hold of Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That whosoever would believe that He still loves them would have everlasting life. That's what He's talking about in that passage of Scripture. So that for whosoever believes in Him, in Him as being what? The everlasting God whose love never ends and ceases. That's what he's talking about, church. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the truth is, God can't stop loving you. The truth is, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, 35 to 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or anguish, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, Paul says, in all of these things that we just said, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us, church. This is the passage of Scripture I was referring to in the beginning that said it wasn't just His love that drew us near. It, was his, it is His love that sees us through. It is His love that it causes us to endure. It is His love that pushes us on and carries us when we cannot walk ourselves. That is the love of God. We overwhelmingly conquer all of these things through the One that loved us, church. It's His love that sees us through. It's His love that empowers us to overcome, church, because He loved us, church. That's what sees us through. He continues and says, For I am persuaded. I am convinced, in other words. I have no doubt in my mind is really what this reference says. When, when I think about it, when I discuss it, when I ponder it, I am convinced. That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things past, present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, all about the love. It's all about the love of God being bestowed upon us. The reality is nothing can separate us from His love. Because the reality is there's nothing deeper than the love of God. There's nothing higher than the love of God. There's nothing wider than the love of God. Nothing broader than the love of God. Nothing more powerful than the love of God, church. And this is what you and I have to understand, that no matter what we encounter in our life, there is nothing higher than the love of God. Nothing deeper than the love of God. Listen, there's no sin deeper than the love of God. There's no sin wider than the love of God that He cannot take and throw into the sea of forgetfulness. You understand what I'm saying, church? Nothing is greater than the love of God that He demonstrated towards us, church, an everlasting love. It's a love that's not affected by our surroundings. It's a love that's not affected, church, by our circumstances or our situations. It's not affected by the the fire. It's not affected by the flood. It holds fast and firm in the midst of all opposition. It never falters. It never fails. And it never lets us go. That's how powerful the love of God is, church. Listen, and I'll talk about the opposite side of that. If there's ever a separation, it's because we've let go of God. It's because we've let go of the cross. It's because we've let go of the word. Because we've let go of the promise. And I'll talk on that in a second. But what you need to understand is that when it comes to the love of God, nothing can separate us from the love God has towards us. His love held us, His love held firm 
on Calvary's cross, and it holds firm today. He had every opportunity to let go on Calvary's cross. He had every opportunity to do his own thing, to forget about you and me. But listen, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane that he considered you and I more important than himself. He could have let go right then and said, God, I'm letting them go. They don't deserve my love. Look at what they've done. You sent me here onto this earth 30-some years ago. You made me come and lay in a lowly little manger in an obscure little town called Bethlehem. You wrapped me up in cheap little clothing. I sacrificed. I lived my life for you. I made myself a drink offering and look at them. But listen, it was his love that held him there. It was, it was his love for us that carried him through the pain, carried him through the shame, carried him through the crucifixion. It was his love for us that when he could have called 10,000 angels to come and loose him and set him free, he speaks the very words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You think that's not love? Then you don't know love. When he could have called 10,000 angels, please understand this, Jesus was the commander of the heavenly host. Every single angel that was standing in heaven was waiting for his command. Standing in full array, ready to fight, ready to rise up, ready to respond to their commander-in-chief and do whatever he asked them to do. They were ready to ride in with their horses. They were ready to slay the Romans. They were ready to rip them from the cross. They were ready to do whatever they had to do to come against every single that persecuted Christ. But what was the words that Jesus said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Tell me. He loved us, church, with an everlasting love that did not run dry on Calvary's cross. And if it didn't run dry then, it won't run dry now. Amen. If His love held firm on Calvary's cross, don't tell me it won't hold firm now. You're in the middle of a marriage mess. God's love ain't going to let you go. You're in the middle of a financial mess. God's love's not going to let you go. That's what we have to understand, church. The love of God endures forever, and nothing can separate us from His love. Here's what I want you to see. If you look at Romans 8, you'll see that according to this Scripture, there will be tribulation in life. There will be tribulation in life. You and I know that. We've been through it. Amen? According to this passage of Scripture, there will be anguish. There'll be hurt. There'll be pain. There'll be suffering. Many of you can witness to that. Many of you can testify to that. There will be times of lack according to this passage. Times of peril. Times of fear. Times of danger in our lives. According to this passage, there will be times of sword, church, of of conflict and division, as many of us have already experienced in our life. But in the midst of all of these things, the Bible says, we overcome through the one who loves us. That's how we overcome, through the one who loves us, through all of these things that come my way. What that's telling me, church, is that in the middle of all of that, in the middle of persecution, if I could just rest in God's love, in the middle of trial, if I could just rest in God's love, in the middle of whatever it is that I'm going through, if I could just, like Paul said, comprehend the depths of God's love, and know that He won't let me go, know that He won't abandon me, know that He's not forsaken or forgotten me, know that He's not left me here to rot all on my own. If I could just cling to the love of God, it will see me through. 
This is what this passage of Scripture is teaching us, church. In this world, there will be death. In this world, there will be powers and principalities that will rise up against us. There will be things from our past, the Bible says. Things that might take place in your life right now, and even things that will come that will try to separate us from the love of God. But the reality is, nothing can separate us from the love God has towards us. Amen? Now listen, like I said earlier, there's a flip side to this. The sad reality is there's plenty of things that can separate our love from Him. When you read this passage of Scripture, what it assures me is that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. But it doesn't say that we'll never be separated from Him. Because the reality is there's plenty of things that can separate our love from God. The sad reality is there's plenty of things that can cause our love for God to grow cold. And if we're honest, some of us have been there. If we're honest, some of us might be there right now. We don't love God like we used to love God. We've wandered from our first love. We don't do the things we used to do. We don't cry when we worship. We're not touched by the love God has for us. We don't read the Bible like we should. We don't pray like we should. Don't clap dance like we should. It's become a routine and not a real relationship. You see, that's the sad reality. We can grow cold. Our love can grow cold. Our love can grow weary. Our love can give up and give out on God. You understand what I'm saying, church? There's plenty of things that can steal our heart from God or steal our affection from God. There's plenty of things in this world that can corrupt our love for God or compromise our love for God. That can even capture the love that we are to have for God. I hope you understand there's things out in this world that will try to capture your affection. An affection that belongs to God. Why do you think God said the first command he had is thou shalt not have any other gods before me because he knew in this world there were things that would try to capture and conquer the love that you should have for God. Take away that love and he takes away everything. If I could just, devil's goal, if I could take away their love for God, I win. If I could take away their understanding of the love God has for them, I win. It's all around love, church. There's plenty of things in this world, and you and I have found ourselves there somewhere in our life. We've been living for the world. We've been loving the world. We've been loving and wrapping our arms around the things of this world. When the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, because the one that loves this world, the love of the Father is not in them. You understand what I'm saying? You can't love this world and love God at the same time. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. God can keep loving you, but you can't do both. You will either love the one, the Bible says, and despise the other, or you will hate the one and love the other. You can't love God and love this world at the same time. Why do I say that? Because God said, I'm not a man that I should lie. And the Word of God says that if the love of this world is in you, you don't love the Father. You and I are supposed to shun this world. But all we want to do is be like the world. We want to dance with the world, sleep with the world, taste the world, have fun with the world, party with the world. There are plenty of things that can separate our love from God. But even in the pig pen, the love of the Father won't leave us. Continue to try to draw. Continue to try to speak. Continue to try to get you to understand how deep the love of God is, church. 
The love of God went deeper than the depth of the prodigal son's sin. Never left him. Nothing could separate that boy from the love of his father, church. The son certainly separated himself, didn't he? But what was it that drew him back? What was it that drew him back? His father wasn't condemning him. His father wasn't piling loads of guilt on him. He just remembered the love of his father. I I remember what I'm missing. I thought my old man was a jerk. I thought my old man had too many rules. I thought my old man was too tight. I thought my old man was all this. I thought my old man was an old fogey. But you know what? He loved me with an everlasting love. And if he didn't understand that, he would have never gone home. If he did not understand the depths of his father's love, he would have never made his way back. But he understood. He believed that if I make my way home, no matter how deep I've gone, no matter what mess I've made, my father's going to welcome me back. And what he did, because nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is what you and I need to understand. His mercies are new every morning and His loving kindness endures from generation to generation to generation. You know what? I don't know about you, and I I say that a lot, I think. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God's love didn't run out on my grandpa. I'm glad God didn't use up His love on my grandfather. I'm glad He lavished His love on my grandfather. I'm glad He lavished His love on my daddy. I'm glad that He's lavished His love on me, but that He can love that He can lavish it on my son and my son's son and my daughter and my daughter's kids. His His love lasts from generation to generation to generation. His love's the same yesterday and today and forever. As much as He loved my grandfather, He loved me. As much as He loved Joseph, as much as He loved Moses, He loved me. He loves you. As much as He loves those that have gone before us, He loves us, church. And He'll love our generations after us the same. Why? Because His mercies are new every morning. And His loving kindness endures from generation to generation to generation. Amen? That's the reality of what you and I need to understand. That His love never runs dry, church. The fact is, here's what we have to understand. God demonstrated His love towards us. Like I said earlier, and while we were yet sinners, He died for us, church. He died for us. Listen, one of the truths that you and I can't forget is that God's love was much more than lip service. He doesn't just say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. He demonstrated it. You understand what I'm saying? He didn't just profess it. He demonstrated it. He proved it, church. He demonstrated His love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, the Bible says He died for us. And while we were yet sinners, He considered us more important than Himself. And while we were still sinners, He laid down His life for His friend. And while we were yet sinners and doing what was right in our own eyes, guess what? God demonstrated His love towards us, church, and He died on Calvary's cross. To demonstrate means this. It means to prove or make clear by evidence. To prove or make clear by evidence. And the undeniable truth is God proved His love on Golgotha's Hill 2,000 years ago. God proved His love 2,000 years ago when He sent His Son to be born in a manger. 
God proved his love for us, and he still proves his love every single day. But, but ultimately, God proved his love for us 2,000 years ago on Golgotha's hill. When we didn't deserve it, he gave us the precious Lamb of God. When we were just a mess, he gave us his only begotten Son, church. He demonstrated it. Uh, listen, we're quick at giving lip service. We're quick at... See, listen, I've been there, and I'm guilty sometimes even today. Get your mind on a million different things. We come into church. We sing some of these songs all about how much we love God. My mind's a million miles away. It's on a building project. It's on all sorts of other things that are going on. And guess what? You know what that is? It's lip service. It's lip service. I love him with my lips. Now, listen, I know he understands my heart. I know he knows I love him. But my point is simply that God's not that way. He demonstrated his love. We've got to learn to do the same thing. We've got to demonstrate our love towards Him, church. We can't just say, oh, I love you, God. You can't just tell your wife you love her and never demonstrate it. You can't just tell your husband you love him and never demonstrate it. You can't just tell your kids, oh, I love you, and never demonstrate it, never talk to them, never show them affection, never, never demonstrate your love towards them. That's what you and I need to understand. God demonstrated His love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, He died for us, church. The fact is, God demonstrates His love towards us every single day. You're awake. You're breathing. you got clothes on your back. you got a family. Yeah, you might have some heartaches. You might have some difficulties. You might have some struggles. But guess what? You're here. Guess what? God gave you His Son. Guess what? you got hope for tomorrow. Guess what? If tomorrow's a, a bad day and the day after that's a bad day and the day after that's a bad day, guess what? There's coming a day when you're going to see Him face to face. There's coming a day where all of this will pass away. There's coming a day when you get to leave all the trials and tribulations behind, church. It's why he, he is, He's got an everlasting love. It won't give up, church, until you make it to glory. And when you and I are walking on streets of gold, He's still going to love us. Never run dry. Well, I had a bad day, God, so I ain't going to love you today. Things aren't going the way I thought they should, God, so I'm not going to demonstrate my love today. You didn't bless me the way I wanted you to bless me, so I'm not going to demonstrate my love in the offering plate today. You see what I'm saying? God demonstrated His love towards us. When we deserved to die, He died instead. And we got to learn to demonstrate his, our love back. But He has an everlasting love, church. It lasts through every trial. It endures through every pain. It doesn't quit because we fall down. It doesn't quit because we give up. It doesn't quit because we have a bad day. It doesn't quit because we've done something wrong. It keeps on loving, church. His mercies are new every morning, like I said. His loving kindness endures from generation to generation because God cannot stop loving us. David said in Psalm 118, you all should know this. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. And in the verse 29, as he closes it out, he closes it out the same way when he starts and says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His love endures forever. You see, listen to me, church. If you've got nothing to thank God for, you still have something to thank Him for, and that's because He is good 
and His love endures forever. You might have a bad day, but you can still say, God, I thank you because you are good and your love endures forever. It's going to endure through this trial. It's going to endure through this tribulation. It's going to endure through this sickness. It's going to endure through this divorce. It's going to endure through this firing. It's going to endure through this layoff. It's going to endure through this heartache, this sadness, this sorrow, this struggle, this storm, this trial. You understand, church, this tribulation. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. If you can't think of one thing to thank Him for, you can thank Him for the fact that His love endures forever. Amen? To endure means this. As I begin to wind down, I've got a little bit of time left. But to endure means this. It means to undergo a hardship without giving up. To endure a hardship without giving in. To suffer great pain without giving up. To remain firm under suffering and misfortune without ever yielding or giving up, church. This is what it means to endure. And this is exactly what the unfailing love of God did where on Calvary's cross. If there's anyone that endured suffering, it was Jesus. If there's anyone that endured pain, it was Jesus. If there's anyone that endured heartache and all of those things that I'm talking about without giving up, it was Jesus Christ. Again, I don't want to preach it, but He could have given up a thousand times between the Garden of Gethsemane and Golgotha's Hill. But His love held firm, church. And it'll home for him today because his love endures forever, church. He, won, he underwent hardship without giving in. He suffered great pain without giving up. He remained firm in his love towards us while dying on an old rugged cross, and it won't let go now. Listen, if the cross wasn't a symbol of his enduring, unfailing love, I don't know what is. If the cross of Jesus Christ... And all of the stuff associated with it is not a demonstration that proves God's love for us. I don't know what is. You see, this is why it's so important to always have the cross at the forefront of your faith. Because it is the cross that demonstrates His love. It's the cross that is the evidence and the proof of His love. And all the devil needs to do to overcome you is to move the cross out of the way. To get the cross of Christ on some side ring circus instead of center stage. You see, the only way you'll be faithful to the end is if the, is if the cross of Christ is always center stage in your life. As long as you can see the cross, you can understand the love of God. It's why when you go through heartache and trial and tribulation, the first thing you should be drawn to is the cross of Christ. I've drawn you with loving kindness. Please understand this. I've drawn you with loving kindness. Well, where did he demonstrate that loving kindness? On the cross of Jesus Christ. So the way that you and I are always drawn back is by focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't focus on anything else except the proof and the evidence that God loves me. When you focus on the cross, you'll endure. When you focus on the cross, it'll see you through. When you focus on the cross, you begin to understand how wide, how deep, how high, and how wide the love of Christ is towards you. And you carry on. Amen? Listen, God's, uh, God wants us to understand that His love endures forever. And we all have to realize, as I begin to wind this down, that the cares of this world and the pleasures of this world and the pains of this world have the power to draw us away from God. 
They have the power to draw us away from His presence. The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. All of these things have the power to cause our love to wane and our love to grow cold. But we can be encouraged in the fact that God's love never ends. God's love endures forever. Amen? There's nothing that can separate us from His love. And this is where I end. Because He is the everlasting God. Nothing can separate us from His love because He is the everlasting God. Because He has made an everlasting covenant with His children. You see, I hope you realize that God has made an everlasting covenant with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 20, calls it the blood of the everlasting covenant. Everlasting. I don't want to take too much time to teach this because I've taught it in the past. But in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, not under the new everlasting covenant of the blood, but under the Old Covenant, when you made a sacrifice and you killed a bull or you killed a lamb, that blood only lasted for 365 days. You had to do it all over again. Your sins were only covered for a short period of time, one year. And after that, guess what? You had to go find a spotless lamb again. You had to go find a bull that was without spot or blemish. You had to take it to the priest and you had to sacrifice it. You had to transfer your sins before it was sacrificed. And you would touch the head of that, that animal and you would symbolically transfer all of your sins to that animal. And then it would be killed and the blood would be sprinkled and you would be forgiven again for 365 days. But when the precious Lamb of God showed up, when the precious Lamb of God shed His blood... He became the once and for all, ever-pleasing, everlasting blood covenant with the Father. That's why it's called the everlasting covenant in the blood. Because His blood lasts forever. Jesus don't have to die again. Jesus doesn't have to shed His blood again. Jesus' blood lasts from generation to generation to generation. His well will never run dry. The power of the blood will never end. You understand what I'm saying? I don't care how far you've gone or how far your kids are or how far your grandkids are. The blood of Jesus Christ endures forever, church. He is the everlasting God who has made an everlasting covenant in the blood through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's why we should be of good cheer, church, Because He overcame everything that we have difficulty with through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's where we find ourselves in, church. Listen, you and I should take pleasure in the fact that God cannot break the covenant with His people. It's what I close with. Over all these things, you need to understand God made a covenant with you. We can break ours. But God will never break His covenant with His people. It was signed, sealed, and delivered in the blood of Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what difficulty you face. I don't know if you've wandered from God in a great relationship with God, but I want you to understand that you and I both can be encouraged by what God cannot do. He cannot break a promise. He cannot tell a lie. He cannot stop thinking about you. He cannot abandon you. He cannot leave you. He cannot hold a sin against you that he's already forgiven because he has made an everlasting covenant in the blood with you. If you're glad for the the things God can't do, I just want you to stand to your feet because we're ending with this. Amen. We bless the Lord. Amen. Amen. God cannot stop loving you. Because He has an everlasting love. Amen? So that's what I want us to go with tonight. 
His love will cover a multitude of sins wherever we're at. If you don't understand the love of God like you should, ask God. Ask God. God, reveal to me the depth of your love. I need more strength. I need more whatever. I need to love you more. The more you understand the love of God, the more you're going to love God. The more you understand how much God has sacrificed for you, the more you'll sacrifice for Him. It's the way it works. So that's why you need to ask God, God, I want what Paul wanted for me to understand the depth, the height, the breadth, the width of your love so I can love you the way that I should. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, Lord. I thank You for this short little series that You've given us over the past three weeks. And it is my prayer, God, that this Word has been a word of encouragement. I pray, God, that it has been a word. I know it's been a play on words concerning things that you can't do, but the reality is there are things you can't do because you are God. There's things you cannot do because you entered into an everlasting blood covenant with us through your Son, Jesus Christ, God. You, that covenant became effective when Christ shed His blood on Calvary's cross. So I thank you, God, that there are things that you cannot do. I thank you that you can't abandon us, can't forget us, can't, can't stop thinking about us. But ultimately, above all of those things, you can't stop loving us, God. I pray that you would help us to understand the depth of the love that you have for us, God, so that we can love you better. That we would understand, Father God, what your love cost us, Father God, so that we would be willing to pay a price as well, God. So that we would never come before you empty-handed, God. So that we would never offer unto you that which has cost us nothing, God. I thank you that your love for us was not cheap. So I pray, God, that our love demonstrated to you wouldn't be cheap either, God. That we would be willing to sacrifice our will like your son sacrificed his. God, I pray that this word that we have heard, God, over the last few weeks, God, would find a place in the soil of our soul and that your love would carry us through, God, every trial and tribulation, that this word would rise up within us when we need it to rise up the most. When the devil would come against us, when lies would come against us, God, when the accuser or the brethren would step in against us, I pray that this word would rise up and bear fruit, God. That it would give us the strength to endure the encouragement, Lord God, to not throw in the towel, to keep running the race, to keep fighting the fight, and to keep keeping the faith, God. Take this word and sear it, Father God, in the soil of our soul, God, that we might be more like you and come into a deeper relationship with you. I thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy. Whatever needs are represented here tonight, I pray that you would meet them according to your riches and glory. And as your people go, God, let them be blessed, I pray. Cover them, Lord God. Keep them safe from the schemes of the devil who would always set himself against them, God. Let them overwhelmingly conquer through your Son, Jesus Christ, who loved us. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless him one more time, church? For his love. If you have a special need, as always, tarry, pray with you, lay hands with you. Otherwise, go in his love and be blessed. Amen.